0: We're going to take a pause on the book of Leviticus and we're going to go to the book of Acts. I wanted to, um, with the focus of baptism today, I wanted to do a, a standalone sermon from the book of Acts, chapter 16. And I think it fits well both with baptism and our current experience in the United States of America as Christians. I call it Songs in the Night. Songs in the Night. We're going to be in Acts 16. And anytime you drop into a To a story that's being unfolded you've got to do a little bit of work to put your feet on the ground and know where you are so uh, a refresher for those who are new to this book uh, the book of acts is the telling of the early church Um, and dr luke who wrote the gospel of luke this is kind of part two of his uh, chronicling of uh, the gospel was the work of christ now this is the early starting of the church and so we're dropping into Acts 16 we're on a missionary journey with apostle paul and uh, so in this experience, we're going to be uh, seeing here, we've got a number of people on the ground. Paul, the apostle, and Silas, who is his partner, but also young Timothy is along on this trip. And then, of course, Dr. Luke, the physician. He is a, he is a doctor, and he is chronicling things as they unfold. He is our narrator today. So when you hear him use those words, those are coming from Luke as he is an eyewitness, a first-hand witness to these things unfold and we're in the town of philippi it is a very very gentile town in fact there could not be more than uh, nine jewish men named among this town enough to even form a synagogue Uh, so we're talking a very gentile town and they come in and they begin to preach and teach down by the water and lydia has just been saved so you have the start of a church plant in philippi And we're picking up the story right there. So let's jump in. Um, Bring me down just a smidge back there, Michael, if you would. Okay, let's start with a painful and providential meeting. A painful and providential meeting. Watch how this unfolds. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl, Luke says, who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed us and... Uh, crying out, these men are servants of the most high God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And she kept doing this for many days. Can you imagine this experience? They're in Philippi, they're preaching. And here comes a a very well-known, what we would understand as demon-possessed fortune-teller, satanic-expressed fortune-telling. And she sees these four men and she knows immediately who they are and she begins saying these words. Well, it's an interesting thing that unfolds. To tell a bit of the backstory here, this woman is not free. She is a a young gal who is enslaved. She is a slave, and she is being used by these owners to make a ton of money for them by telling people's fortunes. Uh, The backstory on this is that there was in this day um, this kind of Uh, what's referred to as the spirit of Python. And so those who had the spirit of Python were able to tell fortunes. And uh, this was some very revered thing in Philippi. Well, uh, the spirit of Python is about to meet um, what I would call the head crusher or the snake crusher. The one who crushes snakes is about to do this and set this young gal free. Paul it says, having become greatly annoyed. Now, I love that you see some humanity here in Paul. Paul is not just this, just this floaty around dude who just never is disturbed. He has had it day after day. This lady is just like, oh, lady, be quiet. So he turns and he said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. Now this is reminiscent of Jesus himself, right? His authoritative commanding of the spirits and they're fleeing from him. Well, Paul does this and the effect is the same. The authority of Jesus is in view. This uh, apostolic power is set on display in what is, I believe, a very orchestrated and purposeful interaction that uh, God has brought to pass for Paul in the town of Philippi. He casts the demon out of this young lady. The fallout is um, uh, her owners, the business makers, the, 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 the people who are benefiting from this business, now they're out of work and they're pretty upset. So it's a very real problem. When her owners saw that the hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas. Now that, that's going to just give you a pause. There's four men. They seized two men. Out of the four, just kind of got to get a feel for this. They dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews. Okay, now we're beginning to get a feel for this approach. This, How can we take these men who did something that we would consider noble and, and stir up the crowds and, and, and cause problems for them? These men are Jews, they begin, and they are disturbing the city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. These men have come in and they are not operating according to what we believe is standard and what uh, should pass as the normal operating procedure. These men stand out from us. They don't embrace the cultural norm of the day. Hmm. The magistrates have a lot of power. Um, they would sit in the market. They represent Rome. They were surrounded by men who would carry um, these sticks bound together. Basically, uh, if, you, if you picture uh, like those caning experiences, uh, like bamboo shoots wrapped together, and they were their enforcers. How is this going to go? At the very heart of their accusation is an extremely strong anti-Semitism. They want to play on the hatred that the Romans have, especially right now, because Claudius has expelled the Jews from uh, Jerusalem. He is angry. He is, he is ticked off at the, Romans, or at, the, at the Jews. And so he's playing on this. Well, it works. It works. The crowds are incited to violence, The crowd joined in attacking them and the magistrates tore their garments off of them, uh, tore the garments off of Paul and Silas and gave orders to beat them with rods. Now, this uh, approach would have been primarily aimed at their back and their sides and the back of their legs. Okay, so picture this, a very, very painful punishment. The Jews would limit this to 39. The Romans had no limit. They could go as long as they wanted. And so we don't know how many lashes they each received, but they were very publicly um, abused and humiliated and beaten with these rods. When they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer. Now, here's what's cool. Look at how God is orchestrating this meeting, okay? Okay. I said, it's a painful and providential meeting. God has a plan in all of these things. All of a sudden, we meet the jailer of Philippi, It's the first mention of this man. They are ordered by the magistrates to keep these two men safe and secure. Having received this order, the jailer then put them into the inner prison and fastened on their uh, their feet in the stocks. He puts them in stocks. Now, prisons in this day were a lot smaller than what we understand in in our day. They were more of a jailhouse, a house converted to be a a fortified, uh, you know, keep people in kind of setup. And in the middle of this house would have been a deep pit that was dug. This was uh, maximum security, as it were. And you would be thrown into this pit. And so it's not enough that they're in this pit. They're thrown in there, and they are put in stocks. Now, we think stocks, you know, uh, most, mostly just a comical memory of, you know, your, your head in the stocks. Well, this is a stock for the feet. And the Romans practiced, of course, they're the Romans. They, they like pain. They like to inflict pain, okay? So anything they can do to cause more pain. When they are fastened in these stocks, their feet are spread as far as possible and then locked in that position. The goal of this is to inflict cramping in the legs throughout the night, so that as you sit, and by the way, you're sitting on the place where you have just been caned repeatedly. This is unbelievably painful. And here they are. Hmm. Jesus said, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own, but because you are not of the world, Christians, you are not of the world. I chose you, Jesus says, out of the world. Therefore, the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, Jesus says, they will persecute you. You have to think some of those words are echoing in the minds of Paul and Silas as they sit in this place. Hmm. Now, if ever there was a time for complaining, if ever there was a time for um, hostility, just, just anger, Breathing anger. It would be now, wouldn't it? In the inner prison, no light, no clothes. Just think about this. No bed, no bathroom, no Tylenol. Okay, I mean, we, we take a lot for granted. And no justice. Maybe that's the hardest one. Paul's a Roman citizen. This was completely illegal. It should not have happened according to their constitution, as it were, right? His rights have been trampled. And he sits in chains, in stocks, in a jail for casting a demon out of a young slave girl. How would you respond? It's tough, man. That's a tough assignment. Now, let's go to the next few verses. These are some of the most incredible verses in the New Testament. Singing and shaking, but not in the way that you put those two together normally. Okay, singing and shaking. Verse 25, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. They just have to stop there. What in the world is wrong with these guys? What, what are they thinking? Well, I mean, do you think they're going to be sleeping? Who in the world could sleep with that much pain? You're not going to sleep at all. Not in that position. Not with the leg cramps and all the bruises and the pain, the searing pain just pulsing through your body. They're praying and they're singing. Hmm. I would think the struggle would be for me more seething than singing, don't you? Oh, friends, we find ourselves in a very similar scenario, not nearly this bad, but we have a choice to make right now and for the next four years. For those who have been struggling with the events that have happened in this election, For those who would say, this is not just, it's not right. There was a stolen election. For those who would say, this is upside down and backwards. This is dark. This is evil. This is the things that you read in the news nowadays. How can this be happening to our country? I get it. However, we have a choice to make. We have a choice to make. It's the same choice that Paul and Silas had to make as they sat there in these stocks. Will we seethe or will we sing? Friends, Christians are a singing people. We, we sing. That's one of the things that sets us apart from other religions. Now, there's, there's music, yes, and there's singing, sure, but not like this. Not like this! I mean, do, do you think anybody expected to hear singing? coming from the um, high high security, maximum security pit that night. I'll tell you what they would have expected. What was normal to hear. Anger. Revenge. Plotting. Planning. When I get out of here, man, we're going to make this right. How dare they treat me like this? Or screams of pain and agony as your body just reels under this punishment that you've received. Now, I I don't think that they would have just miraculously not felt those things. I think that singing was right through the pain. right, And it might have been shaky at best, but it was purposed and it was resolved and it was happening. This is my fight. This is the fight I have for my heart when I'm driving into church. Am I going to sing today, or am I going to struggle and grind? How are we going to move forward, friends? You can turn on God. Some would. Some would. Listen, God, I signed up for this, and this is not what I had in mind. When you said plant a church in Philippi, <laughs> like this was not the, uh, the strategy that I learned in seminary. Go do something nice for someone, get beaten and thrown in stocks. The call is turned to him. Turn to him, friends. Don't turn on him. Turn to him. Run to him. Be real with him. struggling here. They're praying. Don't miss that. Their prayers, I believe, leads them to their songs. It's where it begins. Oh Lord, we're hurting. We need you. Every hour we need you. Hey, that's a song. We should sing that. Yes, let's sing that. Right? We need that. He gives and he takes away. Bless his name. Blessed be your name. Hey, that's a song too. Let's sing it, Silas. Come on, man. Join me. Let's do this. Whatever they were doing in that pit was so clear and profound that as they spoke those words, proclamation happened. They were planting a church that night. They just didn't know it. The psalmist writes in Psalm 42, verse 8, By day the Lord commands His steadfast love, and at night His song is with me. You can't take that away. You You can take a lot of things away from a Christian, but you can't take that. A prayer to the God of my life. Hallelujah, all I have. Christ, you can't take that. And then here's Paul. This is Paul, okay? He's not just blowing smoke. He does this. He says to us, believers, rejoice always. Always rejoice. There's a reason for joy, always. And pray without ceasing. Don't ever stop praying. Turn to him, turn to him, not from him. Give thanks in all circumstances. That meets us, friends. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. If you want to know the will of God for you today, there's some things that you can bank on as you practice them. I have so much respect for these men. And at the same time, I understand they're just men. They're just men like you and me men and women, right? Just normal people who have an incredibly powerful God who ministers his grace in the dark. Now, ironically, they have literally a captive audience. They have a captive audience. These prisoners are listening to them as they pray and as they sing, amazingly as they sing they're not going anywhere. So what do you do when you have a captive audience? Well, Paul did this better than anybody. You proclaim. You proclaim the good news of the gospel. And in their singing and in their praying, they do just that. The jailer and his entire family, I believe, heard some of this. They were listening in. This house is not that big, right? They, they would have heard from the pit in the middle of the home, probably this echoing up at some point along in the way. I think they were listening. And suddenly. Now, I think the miracle has really already happened. This is just the aftershock, really. Here's the miracle. They were singing and praying. Now watch what God does. As if to show his power, his delight, his answers to their prayers, his sovereign hand in all circumstances, especially in suffering. Suddenly, there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. Okay. Now, when was the last time you saw an earthquake do that? Like, stocks open when the ground shakes? Chains break off? This is a supernatural display of God's sovereign power over the darkness and the restraints of the culture. Hmm. No ordinary earthquake. Uh, not just Paul and Silas, all the prisoners. They're, all their doors are opened up. How many are there? I don't know. It's not a huge area, but there would have been certainly more than just two. The doors are open. The chains are falling off. They're free from their uh, constraints and uh, the jailer begins to despair. Verse 27, look at this. When the jailer woke and saw the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. Now it's dark. He doesn't know who's still in there or not, but he does know this. In Rome, if you are given watch over prisoners and they escape, their sentence becomes yours. And he knew this was a serious issue such that it was so serious that he thought for sure it would be better for him to end his own life than to face what he was going to face from Rome. This jailer is no pushover, just to say that. Like, this guy is probably former military. He, he's in a, a military retirement community. That's Philippi, right? If you're going to be the jailer in that city, you've got to be a tough dude. He, he's, he is a man's man. And he is at the end of his rope. Hmm. The jailer's joy. His despair turns to joy. Just in one verse, look at what Paul shouts out. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell before Paul and Silas. He's taken in the scene. As he gets light down in there, he realizes... Everybody's free, but they didn't leave. All the prisoners, they're standing there. They're not chained up. They're not in stocks anymore. The doors are wide open. And they're all still there. Paul knows the situation. He knows how dire it is for the jailer. And the jailer comes and listen to what he does. He fell down with fear before Paul and Silas. He understood who had a power that was far greater than Rome. That power had just been set on display, but it, he had, it echoes in his mind as he remembers their prayers and their songs. And so he says these words. He brings them out and he says, Sirs, with great respect, what must I do to be saved? What a question he asks, right? In the middle of the night, After all of this chaos has happened in his jail cell and and home, this is on his mind. he, He is asking about salvation. It's the single most important question anybody could ever ask. What must I do to be saved? And honestly, friends, there's people around the world who ask this every day. The problem is, is the answers that are given are largely Lacking. Right? What must I do to be saved? Well, here's the thing: you got to be good enough. You got to you got to earn it. You got to repay God for all the horrible things you've done. Well, that's kind of a downer. How do I do that? Well, write a big check. Crawl up the 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 stairs on your knees and beat your back with a chain. Right? Do whatever. Spin the wheels. Rub the beads. Follow the Pope right? I don't know. All the litany of works that come into play. You can't do it. You can't earn it. You can't be good enough. You can't dig yourself out of this pit. You're too deep. That's what the Bible says. For all have sinned and fall short. We all fall short. We cannot jump this gap. We need a bridge. This is their response. Oh, it's so simple. It's so unbelievably, beautifully simple. They said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You and your household, right? Your entire home, your family, they've heard this gospel message. They've been listening too. You can be saved from all of your sins. And everybody in your home who looks to Jesus and turns to him, they can be saved. This is a Gentile house, right? Amazing. What does it mean to look to Jesus, to believe in Jesus? It believes it means that you believe in His person and in His work. Who is He? Well, he is the Son of God. The Father sent his Son. in love. He sent his son. To be born on this earth as a man. Born of a virgin, miraculous incarnation. He was born. That's the Christmas story that we celebrate. He lived a sinless life. He obeyed in all the ways that we haven't. Which qualified him to go and, here's the Easter story, to give his life on the cross so that he would pay for the sins that we committed instead of us and absorb the wrath that God has rightfully set against us, he can take that in full and die the death that we deserve and be buried in the grave that is certain to find us. But after three days, he rose from the grave. This is the the, the stamp of approval. It proves, in fact, that Jesus was sinless and that the sacrifice was complete. He rose and he ascended to the right hand of the Father where He rules and reigns. He is the King of kings and He is the Lord of lords. He raises up rulers on this earth and He brings them down. There is one King that we bow before. And if you do not bow before Him, you will face Him for eternity in the fires of hell. He says, I'm coming again soon. And oh, we cry, come Lord Jesus, come. Come soon, be the king that we've always wanted, the righteous ruler who rules in justice and peace and beauty and glory. Hmm. He took them that same hour of the night and washed their wounds. Here's a display of a man who has completely turned to 180, right? He's a new man. He changes his disposition towards these men who proclaim good news. He embraces the good news, and then he begins to care for them. And it says this, he was baptized at once. He was baptized. He and all of his family. God did an amazing work of revival in this man and in every single member of his family that night. You want to talk church plant? There we go. There there it is. God can do that. God is so good and so wise and so purposeful that he can ordain the most horrific circumstances to highlight how precious the light is in the dark. How amazing the singing is that comes from the pit. You ever been there? we got a lot of situations in our church right now. Medical situations, job situations, challenging marriage situations, parenting situations, right? Workplace issues, struggles, political situations, school situations. Call to shine. God is sovereign over everyone. He's right in the story. He's writing it out. This is his story. He's the author. No accident. No randomness. Purpose. Purpose. I put you here. Shine. Sing. Sing in the dark. It's important to make note of this. The jailer's belief came before his baptism. We always want to keep this clear. Otherwise, we'll end up answering the question, what must I do to be saved? And the answer is, be baptized. Do something, Philippian jailer. That was not their response. Their response was, believe. Trust him. Just embrace. The work is done. He finished the work. All you have to do is see him and savor him and trust him. That's it. Baptism flows out of that. So belief in Jesus is the moment that you are made alive. There is a moment, a a single millisecond in your life where you move from spiritual lifelessness, that's before Christ, to eternal life, an abundant life in Christ. He's the one that does that. He makes us live. And out of that he then commands us and calls us to obey display that work it's a hidden work right it's it's a, a, a as as a it says in i think it's colossians it's a circumcision done without hands it's a spiritual work in our hearts he changes us and then he calls us to make it visible and so we have a a tank of water this is just water and really you know it's, it's Ferndale water. It's not, it's not anything fancy. Like, If we were going to do something with the water, we would at least get Linden water, right? This is just water, and it's a tank. But look at the visual of what is about to happen. I stand here, and I trust Jesus Christ. I identify with him in my life. He died for me down under the water. When he was buried, that was for me. I'm with him in that. And then he rose from the grave victoriously. And I trust in his work on my behalf such that I can say, when he died, I died to sin. When he was buried, I was buried. The old is gone. And behold, when he was raised, I've been raised with Christ. The new has come. Praise God for the visual that he gives baptism is such an easy opportunity to obey Jesus Christ. Many times it's one of the first ways we show our trust in him. And so it's a precious thing, friends. Savior, he's the only savior of sin. But more than that, Lord, he is my king. He's not just a king. He's my king. What he says goes. When he says obey, I gladly obey. I delight to do his will. And treasure. There is no competing treasure. Nothing that runs uh, to, 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 to sit in the driver's seat before Christ. He is the one who matters most. You know what all other competing treasures are? If I place them in the place of Christ, they are idols. Only Jesus. First in my heart, always and forever, treasure and hope. These are the things that are going to be echoed out in the baptisms this morning. Have you trusted Jesus as your Lord, your Savior? Is He your treasure, your highest treasure? And is He your hope alone in this life and the next? Hmm. Yes, I have. Yes, I have. Have you? Have you today? We have the same God and the same gospel, friends. A lot of time has gone by. But you know what's weird is there's nothing new under the sun, is there? Still corruption, still abuses of power, still treading upon rules that are supposed to be obeyed, but many times they're not. Still the struggle. Are we going to s- just, what's the word? Um, not sneeze. <laughs> are we going to see? I lost it there. Are we going to seethe, or are we going to sing, right? That's not new. We join with Christians a long line of godly men and women who have had very similar challenges, and we have an opportunity, friends. Let's shine. Let's stand out. We got a choice to make, and we should make it pretty soon, because Four years are going to happen. I'd hate to get to the end of four years and see just, just unbelievably black, just settled, seething bitterness. We're called to joy. We're called to freedom. We're called to fight for a kingdom that's bigger than any kingdom on this earth. we got work to do. Same God, same gospel. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Let's pray. Oh God, I thank you for your word and how it meets us where we are. I feel this passage equipping my heart and oh, it hasn't been easy. This has been a tough season that we've been in and there's been losses to grieve and challenges we've faced. But Lord, I thank you for the way that you minister your word to our hearts and our souls, the way that you, you meet us in your grace and call us, joy to the kingdom work you desire us to do lord may we be known as christians by our love not by our anger may we be known as christians by our singing not by our seething help us to stand out in the next four years and refine your church make her more beautiful than ever cause her to be uh, just Refined through the processes of these challenges that we face. And God, we give praise to you for how you work. You don't wait to work until things are perfectly sunny. You work when it's cloudy and dark. You work in the middle of the night. And you bring freedom and joy. And so we delight in you and your sovereign rule and reign. And we delight in our King Jesus and we honor you now. It's in his name I pray. Amen.
1: we got Summer
0: here today. Summer Haas. Are you ready for this? Okay. Yeah? Okay. Hold on to that rail there. Good. All right. And Luke is here with her. He's going to be reading, reading some of what she wrote for us. Thank you, guys. Let me get a mic.
2: Okay. So Summer asked me to read this for her but she prepared this with her, with her mother and dad, went over why she wanted to be baptized, and this is, this is what she came up with. It says, My name is Summer Juliet Haas, and I'm seven years old, almost eight. I'm so happy to get baptized today. I want to get baptized because Jesus commands it, and I want to obey My sister Gwen asked me if I wanted to ask Jesus into my heart when I was four. I said yes because she wanted me to say yes and I'd like to make her happy. <laughs> but I didn't understand exactly what I was doing. Basically my whole life, people like my grandma and papa, my dad and mom, Sunday school teachers, a lot leaders and school teachers, and Gwen too, have told me about Jesus and how he is our savior. I started to understand it more and more. I believe that I'm a sinner and Jesus is my savior. Jesus can save me from my sins because he's the only one who's holy. In school I learned the, that holy means perfect, pure, and without sin. I memorized in the one of the verse that says, While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I decided to pray again when I was seven and ask Jesus to live in my heart and forgive me of my sins. I still don't understand everything about Jesus, but I know I want to know him more like my Papa does. I believe with all my heart that Jesus died for my sins, and forgave my sins, and lives in me. I'm happy I belong to God, and I want to obey him today and be baptized getting baptized. Summer, I'm very proud of you. I love you. This is the biggest decision you could possibly ever make. All the other decisions after this are little ones. Okay? Trust God. Believe in Him. And throughout your whole life, look to Him as the authority, the person in charge, nothing else.
0: Alright? Alright? <laughs> Uh, Why don't you turn and sit down right here Alright You guys, uh, we got some good pictures? Okay Alright Summer, so I'm going to ask you a question Here, it's kind of a big one But I know we've we've gone over this already So, I want to just ask Is Jesus Christ your Personal Savior and Lord And treasure And is he your hope alone In this life and the next? Yes Okay On the basis of your profession of faith, we baptize you now in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, buried with Christ in His death for you, and raised to new life in Him. I forgot to mention that Yeah, we, we celebrate. And uh, feel free, cheer, you know, the whole thing, that's great, there are such amazing displays of God's power. Okay, Ashley, this is Ashley Meyer, did I say that correct? Okay, and Ashley wants to be baptized today as well, she and her husband, Caleb, you want to come up and just, you can watch them right up here, right on, that's a special day for both of you. Let me get you uh, what you wrote. You want me to read it? Absolute. I'm happy to do that. Okay, just face these folks. Okay. Ashley writes, Even though I grew up in church and was baptized before um, I entered high school, I'm getting baptized today because I truly know what it means to call myself a Christian. In high school, I was faced with, uh, faced with trials and temptations. However, instead of running to God, I ran away. Before I graduated from high school, my female youth leader pulled me aside and told me the gospel again and ended it by reciting 1 John 1 9 to me. And and God opened the eyes of my heart. And right then and there, I ran back to God. I understood what it meant to be a Christian, what it meant to be a Christian, and I truly wanted to be called one. Here's 1 John 1 9 promise is this. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Amen. What a story God is writing, Ashley. And uh, yeah, just have a seat. It has been such a wonderful privilege to get to know Caleb and Ashley and uh, to watch God work in your lives. It's a special thing God's doing. So, just ask you this question Ashley, have you trusted Jesus as your personal Savior, Lord? Is He your highest treasure and your hope alone in this life and the next? Okay. On the basis of your profession of faith, I now baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, buried with Christ in His death, and raised to new life in the name. Get a towel there and you can watch your husband. All right. Water's nice and warm. Thank you, Dan Long, for that. It's not always that way, but boy, we're grateful for that. Here, Caleb, let me give you a chance to read this real quick. You want to read it? Sure. Okay. Let me, get, let me get the mic for you. I'll hold it for you.
1: I first came to know Jesus as a young teenager, but as time went by, I was starting to drift away from Jesus and towards sin. It wasn't until my early 20s that I came back to Jesus and asked for his his forgiveness. Today, I'm getting rebaptized as a way of reaffirming my faith in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. The verse I chose is John 3, 16. To me, this verse is significant because of God the Father's sacrifice of his only Son, Through faith
0: in Him, we may have eternal life. Amen. Amen. God is so good. Caleb, it's great to see you, uh, spiritual leader of your home, and uh, putting the Lord first in your life. And I've told people, we're happy to re-baptize you. Sometimes folks have baptisms, and then they realize, and you know, I just didn't understand fully. Or, I want to rededicate my life to Christ. And there is no violence at all to the previous baptism. It's a reaffirmation. And that's what Caleb is here to say today. So I commend you for that, brother. I want to ask you the question here Have you trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior and treasure? Is He your hope alone in this life and the next? Okay. On the basis of your profession of faith, I now baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, And the Holy Spirit, buried with Christ in His death,
1: and raised to new life in
0: Him. All right, man. The water's still warm. Check that. It is. Yeah. Good. Pretty cool up here, isn't it? It is. Yeah. So Justin put some words together. This guy's a great writer, and uh, he's going to bless us with uh, the story that God's writing in his life. I'll try.
1: I'm glad to see the people I invited showed up. It means a lot for people to come and witness this. I wanted to start with a simple question. And uh, it's a simple question that took me 32 years to answer. And that is this What does it mean to believe in Jesus? Even growing up in a Christian home, I never really grasped what that meant. I can tell you that uh, believing or acknowledging that God exists is something completely different than believing in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Belief that God exists does not pardon you from the coming judgment for breaking his law. and doesn't remove your culpability for your actions. What believing in Jesus really means is that you understand your true rebellious condition and rejection of the very God who created you. It's turning from your sinful actions against him in sincere grief and crying out in submission for his forgiveness and help. So when I stand here and say I believe in Jesus, what I mean is that through God's moral law, I understand how evil I am. Not just my selfish actions that anybody can see, but how corrupt and immoral my core internal desires are. I know I'm a sinner, I'm guilty, and I deserve the eternal wrath of God. And the truth is, without God's divine intervention, I'd still be living in that complete Lawless state. But through the first hand eyewitness testimonies that we read in the Bible, I choose to believe the fantastic news about Jesus, the Son of God, which is this. Jesus humbled himself on our behalf to be born into the very world that he created. God came down and lived among us in human flesh for the sole purpose. Dying as a sacrifice for our sins, demonstrating perfect love. For those who believe, he took our place, paid our death penalty for fulfilling the law, so that anyone who turns to Jesus in true repentance and obedience is forgiven. Through him we pass from death into life. We become adopted sons into God's family to inherit eternal life and serve in his kingdom. I have a verse that sums this all up. those of you who know me know I really like John, the Apostle John, one of the sons of thunder. In 1 John, chapter 4, he says, In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world, so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us, and sent His Son to be the
0: propitiation for our sins. Amen. Amen. Proclamation right there, brother. Okay. (laughs) Well, have a seat, Justin. Okay. I just want to ask this question one more time. Justin, have you trusted Jesus? be your personal Savior, Lord? Is He your highest treasure? Is He your hope alone in this life and the next? He is. Okay. On the basis of your profession of faith, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Go ahead and lay it back down here. Buried with Christ in His death for you, and raised to new life in Him.